Well, good morning, Emmanuel. We are four sermons into a 10-part series through the book of Proverbs. Pastor Ryan introduced us to this book uh, five weeks ago. Then Pastor Johnny gave us wisdom on avoiding sexual immorality. Then Pastor Jones gave us wisdom from the book of Proverbs on fathers. And Pastor Donnie last week gave us wisdom for work. And now, you knew it was coming. Uh, Pastor Josh just mentioned it. We take up the topic of money. Many skeptics of religion say about the church, all they ever do in the church is talk about money. Well, the truth of the matter is that the Bible does have an awful lot to say to us about money. Jesus talked about money just about more than he talked about any other topic in the book of Proverbs has an overwhelming amount of wisdom to give us on this topic. It shouldn't surprise us that the Bible has a lot to say about money. Money and wealth is something that we all think about a lot. In fact, it's something that we handle and interact with from a very early age all the way through the end of our life. Well, every couple of years, Forbes magazine puts out a list of the top 100 billionaires alive. I'm going to give you the top six. You'll likely recognize most of these. Elon Musk is currently the uh, top uh, man worth uh, $234 billion. I made his fortune from Tesla, SpaceX, and recently purchased Twitter. Bernard Arnault uh, is worth $150 billion. He owns uh, LVMH, a French multinational conglomerate specializing in luxury goods, things like clothing and watches and jewelry and spirits and cosmetics and more. Jeff Bezos is worth $142 billion. He made his fortune from Amazon. Bill Gates is worth $124 billion. He made his initial fortunes through Microsoft and later through pharmaceutical investments. Warren Buffett, he's worth $116 billion. Made his fortunes through Berkshire Hathaway, an investment firm. And Mark Zuckerberg is worth $97 billion. Made his fortunes through meta platforms like Facebook. Well, in Wikipedia, you can look up not just a list of the top wealthiest people alive today, but you can look up who are the top wealthiest people in all of human history, which adjusts their top financial net worth with inflation and gross domestic product of their nation at their peak wealth. And it puts those figures in today's values, and here's what we find. The wealthiest person ever to live by Wikipedia's record are these. Mansa Musa, he was the king of the Mali Empire in the 14th century, uh, he had so much wealth that Wikipedia says his wealth is said to be incalculable. There's just too many zeros, we can't count them all. Caesar Augustus ranked second. He lived in 63 BC, and his net worth was said to be $6 trillion. Andrew Carnegie, a Scottish-American industrialist, he lived from 1835 to 1919. He was worth $372 billion. John D. Rockefeller, his peak net worth was $341 billion. He made his money as an American oil magnate. He owned a 90% monopoly in the oil industry from top to bottom. Imagine what that would be worth today. 
Then Henry Ford, 1863 to 1947, was worth $199 billion. Well, what I found really interesting is that neither Forbes magazine nor Wikipedia, in none of these lists did I ever find King Solomon. He's not mentioned. He's not referred to. He's just dispensed with. I guess Forbes magazine and Wikipedia didn't think much of 1 Kings 10, 23 through 24, which says that King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. Well, I would like for us this morning to sit at the feet of Solomon and learn about wealth from one of the richest men who have ever lived. He was certainly the richest man in his day. His ships and other ventures brought in 666 talents of gold every year, says 1 Kings 10:14. Now, a talent is 75 pounds. I calculate that to be, in today's equivalent, somewhere between $1 billion and $1.5 billion just in gold income every year. He had a vast fleet of trading ships that brought in massive amounts of wealth from other lands, spices and linens and woods and precious metals and jewels and more. He was a man who knew from personal experience both the advantages and may I say the disadvantages of wealth. Now, as we come to sit at Solomon's feet and learn wealth from him, I also want us to sit at the feet of the all-time expert on the topic, and that's Jesus. We'll look at a little bit of Jesus's wisdom regarding money by the end of the sermon, but to start out, I want us to learn some rubber-hits-the-road principles about money from King Solomon. Now, by way of review, as we jump into the Proverbs, especially chapters 10 through 31, what we get is a scattershot uh, of, of these pithy, wise sayings about a wide gamut of life issues. For that reason, Proverbs is a book that would be almost impossible to preach through verse by verse. I can't at all personally discern why one verse comes after another. It's just one wise saying right after another, and they don't seem super connected to one another. They're just a wide range of wisdom on a big, wide variety of topics. So we've broken these sermons down into topics, and this morning, we're going to be all over the Proverbs, mining this book for wisdom on wealth. I do hope that we'll be able to put most of these up on the screen so that you can follow along. Uh, Hopefully, we can do that. Well, the Hebrew word for wisdom is the word hakma which means simply skillful living. This whole book is marvelously practical for everyday life. It deals with with questions like these. This person seems nice, but what do they actually like to live with? This lady has tons of talent, but what's she like to employ? Does this person talk too much? How does that joyful soul, how do they do early in the morning? Are they bearable when you first wake up? And this friend who's always coming by the house, does he come over a bit too much? And how does this person handle conflict? And does this person change the oil in their car every 5,000 miles? 
The Proverbs gives us principles that cover all of these very normal, normal parts of everyday life, offering wisdom and guidance on how to live life wisely and well. And the central question of the whole book is simply this. Will you be wise or will you live a life of folly? Here's how I prepared this sermon. I read through the entire book of Proverbs twice and I circled any and every reference that uh, the Proverbs give us on money, wealth, riches, increase. I circled 89 verses. But then last week when Pastor Donnie taught on work, he referenced about six or seven additional, additional ones that I didn't have circled. All that to say there are easily at least 100 or more Proverbs that deal directly with wealth and finances and money, which to me indicates that this is a prominent theme and a category of life that we ought to give a lot of our attention to. Now, I don't plan to read all 100 of those verses that I found. Several repeat themselves, but I did. Here's what I did after reading them. I started to make a list and categorize the financial wisdom given by Solomon into main headings. And what I found is about 20 main headings. Some have overlap. They could easily fall into more than one category. But there are at least 20 different angles for us to consider when it comes to our wealth. Well, I'm a Baptist preacher, and so 20 seemed like a little much for an outline. And so I did a little bit more work, and I whittled that down to four main headings. I'm going to give you a bunch of principles under each heading, but I've got four main headings to hang everything on. Those of you taking notes, I see pins out. Here they are. Here's the four main headings. First, how should we think about wealth? How should we think about our wealth? Secondly, how do we accumulate wealth? What's the wisdom of Proverbs on how to accumulate it? Thirdly, how do we avoid squandering our wealth, losing our wealth? And then fourthly, how do we then skillfully spend our wealth? How to think about wealth, how to accumulate wealth, how to avoid losing wealth, how to spend wealth. You ready to go? Yeah? You guys with me? All right, good. Here we go. How does God want us to think about our wealth? Is money an evil to be avoided? Now, if I were to guess a default way that many of us think is that we're a little skeptical of money. We're a little afraid of money. For many of us, the most prominent verse in our thinking about money is a New Testament verse. It's 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, which says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it somehow lodges into our mind that money itself must be evil. But please know that this verse does not say that money is evil. Rather, it is the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. So there's your first way to think about money. Don't love it. Don't love it. Don't live for it. Money is not God. And the Proverbs, it shouldn't surprise us, teach this exact same principle. Proverbs says it this way, uh, verse 23 Verse four, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. While wealth isn't condemned, it's also not something that we toil after. Make the Lord the thing that you toil after and make the Lord your focus, not your wealth. And then verse five informs us of a second principle to keep in mind about wealth, which says this. Well, the, the principle is wealth is limited and, and temporary. 
the verse says this, when your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. No matter how much wealth any one of us has, your wealth will not last forever, even if you have a whole bunch of it. God is eternal. That was the theme of the Fourth Street Camp this last year. God is eternal. Give your life to eternal things, not to temporal things. Money is temporal. One way or another, we will all lose whatever wealth we gain this side of heaven. We do not take a penny of our wealth with us into eternity. Stepping outside of the Proverbs for just a second, listen to what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy about wealth. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. And then Job uh, chapter 1 verse 21 says this, Naked I came into the world and naked I will depart. Whatever wealth we have, you are a temporary steward of that wealth. It will not last forever. Now, sadly for Solomon, though he had accumulated massive amounts of wealth, within one generation, just one generation, Solomon's own son, Rehoboam, had lost just about all of it. Shishak, king of Egypt, came in and took all the gold shields and all the other wealth that Solomon had accumulated. And so Solomon teaches us that there is something far more valuable than our wealth. In at least 12 places, probably more, Solomon teaches this next principle, and it's an important one. He teaches this principle that spiritual health is better than material wealth. Spiritual health better than material wealth. You ought to give far more time and attention and diligent study to your spiritual health than you give to your financial wealth. You ought to read, meditate on, and know the word of God and the state of your soul more than you read, study, know, and meditate on your bank statement and your investment portfolio. Here's a few Proverbs, chapter 3, 13 through 14. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gains understanding for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. In today's vernacular, we might say gaining biblical wisdom is better than gaining cash. It's better. Or consider Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Chapter 16, verse 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Now, this is a basic lesson, I know, but we need to be reminded of it. If you can only have one or the other, choose wisdom over wealth. Now, this really is the advice from the whole of Scripture. We see examples in the Bible of those who are wealthy, but they aren't wise. And these characters are always presented to us in the Bible as fools. Remember Nabal from 1 Samuel, whose name means fool, but he's very wealthy. But just because you're materially wealthy does not mean that you are wise, Jesus told a number of parables about rich men who were fools in God's sight. For example, the rich man and Lazarus. Here's a man who's eating lavishly from his table day by day, 
And there's a poor man who sits by his gate, hoping to gather a crumb or two from his table. And clearly in the parable, the rich man, he's got no interest in obeying God and he ends up in hell. And what a fool. Or again, the parable of the rich fool. Here's a man who has a bumper crop. It's unusually large. And he decides he's going to tear down his little bitty small barns and he's going to build these ginormous barns. And then he's going to spend his days in ease and in luxury and in comfort. He's going to live however he wants. And he doesn't realize in the parable it says, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. Who then will enjoy what you have stored up for yourself? So again, you can be wealthy and be a fool and it is of no advantage to you. Or consider the parable of the rich young ruler who was unwilling. He asked Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And at the end of that discourse, he was unwilling to part with his wealth. He walked away from Jesus with all of his wealth intact, but doomed for hell. And what a fool. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Spiritual health throughout the Bible is always far better than material wealth, which leads us to our fourth principle, how to think about money. Fourth principle, strive for moderation when it comes to your wealth. Proverbs 28, 25, a greedy man, he just wants and wants and wants and whatever he has, it's never enough. A greedy man stirs up strife but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. You see the order there, love and attention for the Lord is to be primary and then material wealth follows, not the reverse. Those who are greedy for more and more are never satisfied. We'll see that in a little bit more detail later on. Now this is the only prayer in the entire book of Proverbs. It's in chapter 30 verse 8. It was penned by Agar, but collected by Solomon. Solomon thought it wise enough to include in his collection of wisdom. Chapter 30, verse 8 says this, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty or riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The prayer here is for moderation when it comes to wealth, not too much and not too little. And I commend that sentiment to you as a wise way to pray about your own finances. Lord, don't give me too much wealth because too much wealth poses certain dangers. Too little wealth poses other certain dangers. Lord, keep me safe from danger. Moderation. Now, but interestingly, if you are wise... If you're primarily oriented towards God and the ways that you live, you will likely accumulate for yourself plenty of wealth, which leads us to point two. How do we think about money? Now, secondly, how do we accumulate it? How do you accumulate wealth wisely? You say, all right, now the sermon's getting good. That's what I came for this morning. Tell me, how do I rake it in? How do I make more? How does it come in? How do I get money? How do I go about living in this world where I accumulate and have plenty for my own household and plenty to give towards others in need? How do I do it? You ready? Here we go. First principle, recognize that money's a gift from God. 
It is a gift from God. Everything you have is ultimately given to you by God. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Know where money comes from. It is God's to give and it is God's to take away. It's generally true that God blesses those who obey him and live by his wisdom with material wealth. And he adds no trouble to it that non-Christians experience with the wealth that they accumulate unjustly. Second principle, God especially gives wealth to those who pursue it with godly character. Now, this is a review of what Pastor Donnie taught us last week about work. You work righteously with kindness, and the Lord bestows honor. Proverbs 8, 18 through 21 This is wisdom speaking in the first person, says this, Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. So a wise life generally results in material wealth. Again, Proverbs 22, verse 4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. The Proverbs simply teach that if you work humbly, righteously, showing kindness to others, God will increase your wealth. This is one of the main ways that money comes in. It comes in as a gift from God to those who are honest, those who are humble, those who are kind, and those who are righteous. Third principle, it's not rocket science here. Wealth is accumulated through consistent, hard, diligent work. You want to have material wealth? Work hard and then keep working hard. Don't just work hard one day. Be consistent. If you're a student... Work hard, get good grades, plug away. If you're employed, be a good employee. Develop character that is opposite to that of the sluggard. Work hard for your whole life. And at the end of all of your labor, you're going to have your needs met and then some. There are an overwhelming amount of Proverbs on this subject. Chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. It's also repeated word for word in 24, 33, and 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. 10 verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 12, 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. 12, 27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. 14.23, in all toil there's profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. 20 verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest, and he will have nothing. 2013, love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. 21, 25, and 26, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and he craves, but the righteous gives and doesn't hold back. You say, oh, come on, but it's a, 
It's a holiday weekend. It's the 4th of July. I just want to sleep in. I just want to rest. I just want to kick my feet up and relax a little bit, maybe light off some fireworks. Well, do what you will. But I tell you what, if you make a practice of that kind of kicking back and relaxing and coasting your way through life, don't be surprised at all when your finances reflect your work ethic. There is a direct connection between consistent, diligent, steady, hard work day after day and wealth. Fourth principle for making money, keep on top of your finances. Stay alert to changing economic conditions. Pay attention to your investments. Don't just set things up and pay them no attention afterwards. Stay on top of your stuff. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. Know well the conditions of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure through all generations, whether it's your investments or your job or your possessions? Know the condition of your possessions and your finances. You must keep on top of things. If you have money in stocks, you better have some awareness of what the market's doing, how it's doing. With interest rates climbing quickly, do you know which investments are good in times of economic recession? Typically, commodities do well. Tech stocks and growth companies tend to do poorly when inflation rises quickly because those companies have to borrow money to produce future goods, and borrowing money gets more and more expensive, which trims potential future gains. Bottom line is this. If you, wanna, if you want for your money to make money, it requires you to keep on top of your things. Be alert. Be aware of changing economic conditions. There's times to let something sit For a long time, there's other times to move it around. Know the condition of your fields and your flock. Fifth principle for making money, you get the principle of saving little by little over a long period of time. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. A couple of things here. First, All of the get-rich-quick schemes are just that. They are schemes. They don't work. Gambling offers incentive of quick money without any effort, but almost all gamblers end up in piles and piles and piles of debt. Instead of going after the glitz and the glamour of quick money, the Proverbs encourage us, save little by little. If you talk to anyone who knows anything about money, They will talk to you about the value of investing early so that your money has the opportunity to gain from what's called compounded interest. Let me give you an example here. If you invested $5,000 at age 20, and that initial $5,000 gains a measly 4% interest every year, within 45 years, that $5,000 will be worth $30,000. It's doubled six times over the course of 45 years. Now, after year one, it's only gained at 4%. It's only gained $200. That's not very much. It takes 45 years, a long time for that compounding interest to kick in. Now, a little math here. If it were to gain 10% per year, that initial $5,000 will be worth $364,000, dollars 453. 
That's if you don't even put another penny in. 5,000, that's 70 times the initial investment. That 6% different from 4% to 10% annually is a difference of $330,000. So aim that your investments might make closer to 10% than 4% where you're able. But know this, in the investing world, increased potential gains comes at a cost of increased potential risk. So if you're an aggressive investor, it's all the more crucial that you stay on top of your things and know well the condition of your fields and your flocks. That was the previous principle. Next principle. Here's another way that wealth comes in. This is principle six. Wealth comes in through an inheritance. Wealth is often gained through an inheritance. Proverbs 13:22. a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Proverbs 19:14. house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, I think the thrust of that Proverbs is where a prudent wife comes from, but it does say that houses and wealth come from fathers. The reality is that godly people who live a long time have more than they need when they come to the end of their life, and it is their delight to give it to their children. Those of you who have children, this is great to strive after, to leave your children a generous Inheritance. Principle seven, how do we bring in money? This is one you might not have thought of, but through an excellent wife. An excellent wife will bring in income. Men, if you want to have wealth, consider your spouse and cultivate within her godly character. And in time, she will increase your household income. Proverbs 31, 10 through 12, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of his life. And then so much of what follows is how that excellent wife, she seeks wool and flax. She works with willing hands. She rises to work when it's still night. She considers a field, and she buys it. She buys and sells linen. She delivers sashes to merchants. She opens her hands wide to the poor, and she doesn't eat the bread of idleness. In short, she's an earner. She increases the household wealth. Men, if you want to increase your wealth, you are wise to consider your wife and how she might help increase your wealth. If she already does, which she likely does, by looking after household matters, shopping wisely, not overspending. If she already is an excellent wife, which many of you are married to excellent wives, I would deeply encourage you, would you praise her like Proverbs 31 does and say she is an excellent wife? Would you tell her how oft often that she's an excellent wife? Praise her for her diligent hard work. All right, so we've learned from Solomon how to think about money. We've learned from Solomon how to make money. Next, let's consider how to avoid losing wealth. This is point three. You might think, well, I don't really want to know about that. Well, yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. Because just as surely as money can come in, Boy, you can also get involved in a lot of things that will cut a hole in your money bag and cause your money to leak out. To avoid losing what you gain, we need to be aware of several dangers when it comes to our money. And the first principle here is that we ought to avoid any and all unjust gain. 
Money that comes in through sin dwindles. Wealth can come in, as you know, through highway robbery. It's chapter 1, verses 10 through 19. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come, let us wait in blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Skipping down, we'll share an open purse. Such are the ways of everyone, greedy for selfish gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. Proverbs 6, 12 through 15, a worthless person, a wicked man goes about with crooked speech. He winks with his eyes. He signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Don't gain money that way. It will surely leave you as quickly as it comes to you. Principle two, avoid gaining wealth through dishonest business practices. Proverbs has a lot to say about this. Chapter 10, verse 2, treasures gained by wickedness don't profit, but righteousness delivers from death. 11, verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Any business practice that involves dishonesty, it is simply an abomination to the Lord. Be honest in all of your business dealings. 11 verse 18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Chapter 20 verse 17, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be full of gravel. 21 verse 6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. You can temporarily get ahead financially, at least for a time, through dishonesty, through wickedness, and through deceit. But please believe the Proverbs that this kind of wealth gained through deception and dishonesty, it's a fleeting vapor, and it is a snare of death. Dishonest earnings will not better your life. Instead, it will trouble your life because the Lord himself is against that kind of increase. Principle three, avoid wealth that comes from charging exorbitant interest. Chapter 28, verse eight, whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. It is possible for you to gain a lot of money through charging a lot of interest to another person, but the Bible warns against gaining money that way. Anytime we use any resource entrusted to us by God, like our wealth, to take advantage of others with that resource in a self-serving kind of way, like collecting large amount of interest from others who borrow, it's a sure way to dishonor the Lord and a sure way to lose the wealth entrusted to you. Principle four, avoid gaining money through oppressing the poor. The Proverbs has an awful lot to say about this. Proverbs 21, 16, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Chapter 22, 22 and 23, do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. The poor, they are often in this world an easy target for the wealthy to exploit for selfish gain. The poor often lack the resources to defend themselves. They can't afford a fancy lawyer and take you to court. And we need to know that God himself has a particularly kind heart to look after those who are poor, the orphan and the widow. And he does not take lightly those who would take advantage of them in their business dealings. How else is wealth 
lost according to the Proverbs. Principle five, laziness is a way to squander wealth. If hardworking and increasing steadily over a long life is a way to gain it, then the opposite is also true. Slow negligence and inattention to detail will end up costing you more and more money. Proverbs 10 verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes him rich. I've seen this happen to people who just don't take care of their vehicles. They don't get regular oil changes. They don't give attention to that first instance when it's the car starts making a weird noise or driving a little funny. They just let it go and think, I'll eventually get to it at some point down the road. You do that, it'll just end up generally costing you a lot more money down the road. If you don't maintain your house, your possessions, your car, your land, they'll lose value instead of gain value. And it's a sure way that wealth can be lost. Principle six, living beyond your means is a way to squander wealth. Proverbs 21 verse seven, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, I really want you all to to pay attention for this point. If ever there was a needed topic for the average American today, it's this one. We are a debtor nation par excellence. We are in debt. It's overwhelming. I'm not even 100% sure where the national debt is. Do you know that it climbs by $34,000 every second? Every second. That's $2 million a minute. In my last check this last week, our national debt was somewhere around $30.4 trillion. It's more than tripled in the last 15 years. That's $91,521 per American, per person in America. The numbers are so big, they boggle the mind. Our current trade deficit in America is $87.1 billion. That's what we owe to the rest of the world. Well, the typical American family is also buried in debt. 54% of Americans overspend what they earn every month by $1,000. The typical American household carries $6,270 in revolving credit card debt. Sadly, most of us are oblivious to the cost of that debt. 25% of their net worth is owed in debt. Imagine one quarter of what you're worth you owe. That's 136% of your disposable income you owe. Now what happened through COVID is many Americans lost their job. What many did was they leveraged their homes. They didn't trim their lifestyles, but rather continued living the same lifestyles, but now with less income. Well, when you continue spending and have less coming in than you have going out, that is a recipe for debt, and Americans seem far too comfortable living under piles and piles of debt. And we need to hear the wisdom of Solomon and believe that the borrower really is enslaved to the lender. The pitch is appealing. You've probably heard it. Easy monthly payments enticing you to spend more than you ought. It's a lie. It's maybe easy for Chase Manhattan to collect it, 
but it's not easy for the one trying to get out from underneath it all. What they should say instead, I think this would be a clever uh, little tagline, come, work for the rest of your life on the Chase Manhattan Plantation. Come buy more than you can afford and enslave yourself to us, and we will gladly garnish your wages for a really long time. If you took them up on their pitch, easy monthly payments, for you to pay back just $1,000 that you borrowed for them, it would take you 10 years to pay back just $1,000 making their easy monthly payments because while a little bit of principal gets paid down every month, they're racking up large amounts of interest too. Well, the wise person does not live beyond their means. They do not enslave themselves to creditors willing to offer easy monthly payments. If you are currently in debt, I urge you to talk with one of our deacons or look up one of the Christian companies like Crown Financial that helps people get out of debt. Principle seven, the underlying reason for the large amount of debt, it boils down to this next principle. It's the problem of uncontrolled appetites. You want to squander a lot of wealth? Keep feeding your unquenchable appetite. This is another way to bleed out money. Proverbs 21, verse 20, precious treasures and oil are in the house of a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So there's a principle of devouring. We get into debt with ravenous appetites for life, and pretty soon we're in debt. I was shocked to learn, maybe maybe didn't shock you too much, it shocked me to learn that Michael Jackson the king of pop, he died. Do you know how much debt he had with him uh, when he died? $400 million in debt. It's shocking because the man was an earner. He had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions that came in. But Michael Jackson had an insatiable appetite for toys and antiques and mansions and cars and clothing and he never understood the value of a dollar, and he couldn't stop himself from spending large amounts of money on all manner of things. He's not alone. There's a lot of famous people in the world who've made millions, who've squandered more wealth than will ever go through our hands. Here's a few. Charlie Sheen filed for bankruptcy, MC Hammer, one of my childhood, well, never mind. <laughs> Nicolas Cage, Mike Tyson, he used to get paid $30 million per fight. He only has $3 million to his name today. Filed for bankruptcy back in the day. Though they've all earned millions and millions, they all carried massive amounts of debt. Why? Why? Just addicted to luxury and comfort and uncontrolled appetites for one more mansion, one more really nice car, one more fancy piece of jewelry, always wanting, always wanting the next thing. Teens with your first jobs, learn to control your appetites. Even if it's candy and eating out, learn to control and curb your appetite for immediate pleasure. These movie star level people, famous people, are grotesque examples of what many of us live in day in and day out. We live discontent with what the Lord has provided, always wanting just a little bit more and satisfying our appetites with a credit card to get it now. So Proverbs gives us warning, real warning about our appetites. 
Again, wealth is depleted by those who seek after pleasure, being addicted to the good things in life. Proverbs 21, 17, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Proverbs 23, 21, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Here's a link on this front you might not have thought of. Proverbs 29, verse 3, he who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders wealth. I think we can extend that to any and all forms of immorality in general, addictions and other immoral lifestyles. It's a clear-cut way to squander wealth. A love for pleasure and a desire for ecstasy of any kind is a good way for wealth to be destroyed. Because all the money that you could be saving up and giving to others in need, and you end up paying for your unquenchable appetite to satisfy your immediate craving. Let me review quick. All right, you want to have money? Work hard. Be diligent. Save little by little. Avoid all of those get-rich-quick schemes. Control your appetites. Don't overspend and enslave yourself to lenders. Don't be greedy for more and more and more. This is all just really rubber-hits-the-road practical advice, wisdom from the Proverbs on money. It is a well-oiled machine within this world of how to produce material prosperity. Generally speaking, you'll have plenty if you follow those principles, which leads to our last main category, how then is money to be spent wisely? How should we spend that which we gain? First principle from the Proverbs is tithe. Did you know that Proverbs teaches a tithing principle? It's in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Generally, here's some advice for setting up a budget. First, take right off the top 10% of your income and give it to the Lord. Then pay yourself roughly 10% in savings and let that accumulate steadily, slowly and steadily over the course of your life. Then live off of the other 80%. That's the first principle, tithing principle. Second principle, how should we spend our wealth? Second principle is be generous, especially to the poor. Listen, I understand that we're still coming out of COVID shutdowns, and it is a weird time economically right now. Interest rates just a year ago and even six months ago were rock bottom, and very quickly, the last quarter of the year, they've climbed higher and faster than I've ever seen them higher uh, climb. Economists are even predicting potential recession in 2023. Those of you who have worked hard and squared away a little bit for these uncertain times may be asking, Man, what is a safe investment for my money? Well, that's a great question. And the Bible gives us one very solid way for us to invest with certainty of return on investment. Listen to Solomon's advice. Chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Or Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will never want. But he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. This may be the most certain investment plan in the world. John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, 
He said this about Proverbs 19.17, If you had a little money to spare, would you not lend it to me if I assured you that it would be repaid to you when you needed it? If you trusted my character and you knew that it would in fact be repaid, would you not in that circumstance lend me your money? What think you of this text? Proverbs 19.17 asked John Newton. Is it the word of God or no? I dare stake all of my interest in your friendship that if you act upon this maxim in a spirit of prayer and faith with a single eye to give God glory, you shall not be disappointed. Well, there's a good holding place for your money. You say, but wait, if I give a lot of it away, then I won't have anything left for myself. This proverb begs to differ. God will give it back to you when you need it. Meanwhile, you will be storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. King Solomon gives us tons of sound wisdom for money. But consider Jesus' words on wealth. He says, what would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and then forfeit his soul? Or what would, it, what would you trade in exchange for your soul? Brothers and sisters, any and all material wealth, it is temporary and limited. Your soul is so much more important than your wealth. Proverbs 11 verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. This is a fabulous verse, but it begs the question, what kind of righteousness will profit us in death? Well, the answer is perfect righteousness will profit you in death. Perfect righteousness. But where can I get perfect righteousness? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't have any perfect righteousness. Proverbs 20 verse 9, who can say, I've kept my heart pure. I'm clean from all of my sin. Answer, no one. No one. Instead, this points us to Jesus, a perfect righteousness. He dealt with money perfectly. He dealt with relationships perfectly. He dealt with sexual purity perfectly. Everything he did was always only exclusively right. His is a perfect righteousness. And Jesus gives this perfect righteousness to us by faith as a gift in exchange for your sins. Who of us, honestly, if we're really being honest, has handled all of our finances perfectly, obeying all of these principles all the time? There's one of us, Jesus. He did it all perfectly. Jesus did. You give him your sin, and he will give you his righteousness on the day of wrath because God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. Look to Christ and him crucified for something that will be effectual on the day of wrath. Well, what about all of your money that you're going to have sitting in your bank account and sitting in your portfolio when you live such a wise life? You work hard, you get good grades, you don't get entrapped in lifestyles, living beyond your means, you save up little by little, there's no addictions in your life, you give to the poor and needy, guess what? You are going to have a surplus. What should you do with your surplus? 
How about this? Again, this is Jesus' wisdom on the topic. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth can destroy them. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no moth can destroy it and no robber can break in and steal it. How do you do that? Well, one way is by not loving your money so much that you hold on to it with a tight fist, but give it away. Learn and grow comfortable giving lots of your money away so that others would hear the only message in the world that will last into eternity. Solomon, he was one of the all-time great experts on wealth and what to do with it. Jesus was better. Jesus was better. Consider this as we close. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I love this verse on this topic. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I mean, fabulously wealthy. (laughs) Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Isn't he a great savior? I mean, isn't he a great savior? Having all this wealth and ability, making himself poor and giving it to others in desperate need of what he had to give. Won't you follow in his example with your own wealth? The very very best thing that we can do with our money, having earned it by obeying these wise principles, is to give it away to others that they might know this grace. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for wisdom from Solomon on how to gain riches, how to think about money, how to avoid losing money, and then how to spend money. Lord, help us now to not be hearers of the word and not doers of the word. Would you make us doers of the word? Those of us who need to reevaluate, are we even, are we tithing? Lord, give us faith and help to make adjustments so that our money is spent in ways that bring you honor and glory. And we pray these things all in the precious name of our dear Savior who really did make himself poor, that we might be rich. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.